Hey, once again, it's time for the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I am your host, your set-in, your stand-in, your lean-in, Brad Lominick. So excited to have you along for the journey on this episode of the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. By the way, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that now. Uh, rate and review, share with your friends. Also, go back and listen to previous episodes. There is a, there is a plethora, good word, huh? Plethora of conversations, interviews, content messages from Ray, as well as friends that you can uh, get your moleskin out and learn from. So go back and listen to all those past episodes. On this episode, Andrew McCourt, one of the senior pastors at Bayside Church, sits down with John Tyson from Church of the City in New York. And if you're not familiar with John Tyson, he is a lead pastor of, uh, of Church of the City. He started Trinity Grace Church several years ago in the New York City area in Manhattan. He's originally from Adelaide, Australia, which makes him sound cooler than all the rest of us. He moved to the United States over two decades ago with a passion to seek and cultivate renewal in the Western church. And he lives, works, and serves, obviously, in one of the largest cultural missionary contexts of the world in New York City, in the middle of Manhattan. He's the author of most recent book, Beautiful Resistance, as well as uh, Sacred Roots, A Creative Minority, and The Burden is Light. And he is on the board of City Collective, which does a lot of work, missional church work in the, uh, in the urban centers of the world. Lives in Manhattan with his wife, Christy, and their two children. So you're going to love this conversation. And uh, John is one of my favorite teachers. He is one of my favorite thought leaders as a result, as it relates to the context of the church and of culture and engaging people. Uh, being followers of Jesus in a you know in a, in a context and a culture that sometimes can be difficult. So again, get your moleskin out. This one you're going to want to take some notes. You're going to want to think about what John has to say. Hopefully, it'll create some conversation with your team. So let's jump in. Andrew McCourt sitting down with uh, John Tyson from Church of the City, New York. Hey, so good. Hey, welcome everyone to the webinar. And joined by a fantastic guy called John Tyson. John, so good to meet you and to see you. And thanks for being with us. No worries, mate. Thanks for taking some time. And, and thanks, everybody, for joining in. Yeah. Well, John, I'm going to be like your mother right now. I'm going to boast on you. I'm going to say everything that you would like to say, but in your, in your humility, you would never say. John, you are the lead pastor, the founding pastor of Church of the City, uh, right there in Manhattan, New York. And we're going to unpack that. That's going to be exciting. You're also a writer. We're going to talk about some of your books. You're a church planter and you help other church planters and you've got a real heart for that. Um, you're a cultural apologist. And that's the title I put on you. You, you didn't claim that yourself. I put that on you. And if anyone wants to know what's happening in society and also how that really fits in with the Word of God, I think they should listen to you. Does that do you fair justice? I mean, I'll take it, mate. I'll take it. Okay. Well, well John, let's just start with your beautiful accent. Uh, as you know, I'm the only one in the world that doesn't have an accent. Everyone else has an accent. And uh, you, you got a wonderful Australian accent. You want to tell us where you're from and how did you ever then get to Manhattan, New York? Uh, so, yes, uh, I am from Australia originally. Uh, I grew up in Adelaide, South Australia, which is famous basically for one thing. If you've been there, it's probably for one thing, and that's for wine. And so I was uh, close to sort of the um, 
Oh, the Napa Valley of Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, like a very, very good Adelaide, Shiraz, whatever, Penfolds Winery, those places. That's probably the most famous thing near me. Uh, I became a Christian the weekend I turned 17 at a Pentecostal youth group sort of experiencing revival. Um, had an immediate desire. I, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 to be a butcher. So I'm a, a, I did an apprenticeship. So I'm an apprentice butcher by train by training. And um Felt called to the, to Australia. I was at a DC Talk concert at Wonderfest, wow. a big youth conference, and uh, was like not into it. Went and prayed in a parking lot. Had sort of like this open heaven vision. It's very hard to articulate, but I felt like I was called to come to America, and uh, I ended up getting a scholarship when my apprenticeship ended, and I turned twenty to study theology in the US. So I came in 1997, met an American my first two weeks in and uh, fell in love, got married 22 years later, still together. Heard about church planting at the first ever Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. One of our pastors was a ghostwriter for John Maxwell and he said, uh, you want to come to the Catalyst Conference? So I went to the Catalyst Conference and Andy Stanley in a throwaway comment said, when I planted North Point. And it was like a, some sort of beam came from his mouth and touched my heart. I remember thinking, what do you mean planted? You can start churches. Whose permission do you need if you're a Protestant? I was in a non-denominational church. Like we don't have a Pope. We don't have a Bishop. Who lets you do that? But that woke something up in me. And I, I just felt like I had the entrepreneurial gifts, high pain threshold, resilience, um, love of culture, deep heart for mission and um, started doing research, went up to New York after 9-11, fell in love with it. And then as soon as I was old enough and got some money together, moved to New York with some friends uh, to start a church. So that was in 2005. So coming up on 15 years, um, planting churches, pastoring in Manhattan, and I just love it. It's just, just my home. It's in my blood did a deep evaluation when I turned 40. What do I want to do with my life? Then another one during COVID, I guess I can go anywhere and do anything. And I was like, I want to be right here doing doing what I'm doing. So that that's sort of the backstory. That's fine. And tell us a little bit uh, about uh, Church of the City. Just what does that look like? You know, for most people, we are not pastoring in Manhattan. What does church look like normally? And what does it look like in COVID? Yeah. Well, it looks very much like this um, during COVID. So, I mean, it's just online like like everybody else is right now. Um, so I, I started a church called Trinity Grace Church. That's what it was called when we first moved there. That ended up growing into a large church. So that was 11 locations across three boroughs. So uh, we had churches in the richest neighborhoods of New York and the poorest neighborhoods of New York at the same time. And that was like a really beautiful um sort of a kingdom experiment. I did that for 10 years, then started getting real clarity sort of about the second half of life. And that had multiple cultures. It was in many ways like a very compelling missiological experiment. Then I started getting clarity about um, some things and then ended up leaving that and starting Church of the City. So what did it look like before COVID? A three-year-old church, three locations, uh, Upper West Side, Upper East Side, and then Midtown right near Times Square. And, um, you know, like a, um, a small, large church. 
or a large, medium-sized church, not quite a mega church, um, but, you know, five services on a Sunday. Uh, A sort of, I describe it if Tim Keller and Bethel had a love child, (laughs) that would be our church. Oh, wow. So, yeah, charismatic church, high commitment to prayer, presence of God, um, gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, huge, huge heart for God's word um, and sort of preaching in secular culture at the same time. So we've tried to bring those things together, and that's probably what most people would say is our distinctive, the integration of the best of the charismatic tradition, sort of like a word, spirit, missional church. Okay. Sort of thing. And yep. how's that working out for you trying to bring that blend together? I mean, how's it working out, mate? It's working out like a kingdom dream. <laughs> it's going amazing. <laughs> I mean, we're, we live in a day where the, the days of simple ones, one, um, the, the culture is too hard. It's getting too secular for sort of one dominant theme, Christianity, to really produce disciples. And it doesn't matter if it's just like we do Bible, 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 it's like culture's going to eat you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do signs and wonders. It's like, look, man, it's that stuff. The culture's getting too hard again. So I think it's like the best of multiple, multiple traditions integrated well is going to produce the kinds of disciples we need for the future. I mean, ultimately, that's apostolic Christianity. Yeah. The Apostle Paul basically had four distinctives to his to his ministry. Number one, a profound ability to build a Christological vision of life. So deep, 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 deep theological lens. Um, secondly, moving in signs and wonders, or authenticating the gospel, whether it's you know raising the dead or whatever. And then a, a staggering understanding and ability to bring the gospel to new contexts, all wrapped up with a willingness to suffer. And to me, that's the key. If you get cultural integration, science, wonders, and theology, and you're willing to do it in hard places, that I think that's the future. Beautiful, beautiful. Certainly the future for our church, yeah. Yeah. So I love their title, Church of the City. And John, a, a lot of stuff I've heard you speak on and actually uh, write about as well is that you seem you believe that God has redemptive plans for cities. You, you really love cities. Uh, we, we've been talking about the book of Jonah recently, teaching through Jonah okay, yeah. and how God calls that it a great, great city. city. A great city. Yeah. And it was a great city. <laughs> but God yeah. saw it as a great city. Talk to us about God's heart for cities. Well, uh, look, I'm not um, – I love cities. I love I love people, and people are in cities. And I love the diversity of cities. I love the culture that's formed there. I love what it – I think cities in midways are the most compelling can, – can be uh, – school of formation I've ever encountered. So, you know, I'm constantly, I've, I've, I've eaten with billionaires and homeless people in the same week. You know, I've, I've, um, I, I love, I just love it. I love human culture. I think people are so fascinating and being around it. Um, you know, I, I'm a little hesitant to say, I think God has a special plan for cities. I think God has a special plan for discipleship or wherever you are. Mm. And he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't call everybody to be in cities. He calls people all over the place. And uh, so I, I want to see people thrive where God has them. And, uh, you know, there's something powerful about living in a, in a very, very small town and knowing your neighbors and being a stable force uh, of care and mission. Um, I just happen to, 
to thrive in New York. This, this is what I say. Many people visit New York and they say, I'd love to visit, but I could never live here. That's how I feel about everywhere else. I love to visit everywhere else, but I don't think I could ever live there. So, you know, God gives you a place. He puts it in your heart. Um, and I get, I think he gives you a special grace and sense of spiritual authority to speak into it and shape it. And I, I just feel that about New York for myself, but want everybody wherever they are to thrive and prosper. And I, I, I think there was a, there was a moment there when there was kind of a, a Christian elitism, which is like, you've got to go to a strategic place. And I look, man, I'm not in New York because it's strategic. I'm in New York because it's my home and I love it. End of story. And that to me is the most important thing. Love the place and people that God's given you. Great. John, you mentioned earlier a very important word. You mentioned the word resilience. And uh, talk to you about talk to us and all the leaders that are watching today about how important resilience is, and especially in the season that we've been going through the last eight months. Yes, Christians tend to have, in moments like this, sort of a heroic missional response whenever a crisis happens. It's that's the best thing about Christians. You know, the world panics, and we pray and we serve. Um, but a lot of that ends up being sort of an adrenaline-fueled initial impulse. So we just, you know, whatever it takes. and But it often costs us more than we're aware of. And uh, so we're often, if we, if we stay in that state and live in that state, I think there's a very, very real chance that a lot of folks will burn out if they don't shift to some sort of long-term, um, you know, sustainable sort of framework thing. So I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer in just finding that sacred pace. You don't want too little stress. You don't want too much stress. You want that you stress, that sweet spot between engagement and replenishment. And I'm very concerned right now. I, I have friends who are dropping out of the ministry like crazy right now. Uh, my two friends this week basically tapped out and said, I'm just done, man. And I think, I think the, the thing people are wrestling with is not, can I get through this season? Can they get through the next three seasons after this one? Mm-hmm. And I think many people for the first time are like, I don't know if I can do this in five years. And you know what? It's been hard economically and I can probably get another job and I can probably make up for it if I hustle really quickly. And um, so I think there's a lot of people who are worried about the future, even if they're getting through the moment. Okay. So yeah, how to be a resilient leader and how to, replenish the soul is I think one of the key disciplines um, I'm spending a lot of time thinking on and focusing on right now. Yeah. And what does that look like for you? How, how do you keep your own resilience? I think you said it earlier on that you were attracted to church planting because I think you said you had a high pain threshold. You just knew what it was to stay. It's almost like I'm going, John, that moment when you were at the DC uh, talk concert and God spoke to you, how much do you draw from that moment and how much do you just focus on the future? You know, how much do you pull into the past and focus on the future? What does resilience look like for you? How do you build that in your life? Well, I mean, yeah, those are the three key things. You mentioned them. I mean, it's remembrance, it's presence, and it's vision. Those three words, how you orient yourself in time, are very, very important. So, yeah, I'm I'm living on... I mean, what is sustaining me more than anything right now is a deep sense of God, of God's call. I'm, God's asking me to do this. It doesn't always look glamorous, but at the end of the, the book of Ephesians, he says, when you've done everything, just stand. And some days I'm just like literally standing on a corner saying, Jesus, here I am. It's not, not that impressive. Doesn't look like a lot of fruit, but I'm still here. And uh, yeah, so I think um, 
the the sense of call is the most important thing. That that to me has nourished and sustained everything. Because if you're obeying Jesus, you're not responsible for the fruit. The fruit is up to God. So if I get the sense this is what God's asked me to do, in in love and obedience and humility, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna occupy till He comes, until He says move on. You know, I'm just gonna be here doing this. So the sense of call is very important, and my past has fueled that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's 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 probably it. I mean, I don't have vision like I used to. Right before COVID hit, I felt like we're on the verge of revival, man. I don't say that lightly. The level of like momentum and manifest presence of God we were experiencing in our church was unlike anything I'd ever personally encountered anywhere, and it disappeared in a week. So I'm still sort of like mourning that that loss. Um, so I don't. You know, I'm, I'm hesitant to to get all excited about the future, um, other than obeying God and being faithful in it. You know, that's good. Uh, again, we're talking to um, leaders here in business, but there, there's pastors here, there's uh, preachers here. Talk to us, John, about um, preaching in this season. What does preaching look like? What should we be mm. preaching about? Should it all be the Book of Revelation, or do we got to go to John and just comfort people? Um, and you preach for 51 minutes online. You're the marathon man of preaching. You really are. Talk uh, to us about what you preach, how long you preach, your approach to preaching, because you're a great communicator. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Look, the research is in. The, 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 we, we commissioned a bunch of research, and these folks tapped into some nationwide research about how we were doing online. Um the typical person watches 11 minutes of a weekend service. I mean, just let that depress you. <laughs> the typical person's watching 11 minutes. They came back to us and said, congratulations, Church of the City is doing really well. People are averaging 27 minutes of your service. And I was like, that's like half a talk or a worship set, you know, or like one song in the first part of the talk. Our podcast does well. You know, our, our podcast is probably like, 15 times our Sunday or whatever. And I think it's just a different medium, you know, where people are maybe they're at the gym or whatever, or they're walking or that they just hear it in a different way. So, yeah, I, I love preaching. Um, I'm trying to do so. So my, my definition of preaching is the role of preaching is to form people in the image of Jesus for the mission of God in a particular context. That's what I think preaching is for. So that, that defines my approach. Because I'm preaching in the middle of New York City, I'm often dealing with a ton of cynicism. I'm dealing with a ton of doubt. And I'm trying to build plausibility structures of faith before I assume people want to hear what the Bible is saying. Mm -hmm. So my sermons end up being longer because I'm, I'm trying to build a path of credibility and touch the angst of the human heart before I just start preaching the Bible. And that takes a little bit of time to sort of like navigate to the point where the heart is ready to hear God's word. I'm not saying you can't just preach the Bible, but Paul didn't just preach the Bible in Acts chapter 17. Do you know what I mean? He ended in the same place he always ended with Jesus is the resurrected Lord of history and you should repent and give your life to him because he's going to judge the world. But he started with, I can see you're very religious. 
and then he, he you know he begins to move towards the people using poetry and philosophy finds those points of affirmation you know it's it's i mean it was uh, c.s lewis's concept of subversive fulfillment he basically enters their story and then gives it a surprise ending so i'm trying to do a lot of that in my preaching man i'm trying to deconstruct deconstruction you know i'm trying to make Christianity not just credible, but beautiful. I want people to go, what a way to live. And that just takes a little bit longer. I'm trying to get shorter. I'm trying so hard. I've got two preaching coaches right now. This is true. I have one, an ongoing coach who listens to me and gives me feedback. And I've hired like a special ops guy, one of my preaching heroes. And, um, so I'm trying to get better at preaching because I value it so what are, much. Come on, you, you got, you've opened the door there, John. We've got to walk through it. What are they saying to you? It, you know, are they saying go shorter? You know, what? what, what, what? No, nah, you know, interesting. Neither of them have commented on the length. They say, you know, like people seem to be hanging with you. So it's like it's but they're, they're basically saying, um, you know, more stories. Brilliant. So uh, it was um, um, like 15, 20 years ago, Eddie Gibbs, uh, he first said this phrase. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was fantastic. He talked about, you know, exegeting scripture, that's the call of a preacher, but also exegeting culture. Uh, and, and you seem to have cracked that that code. Um, you know, you, you have great insights into culture. How, how do you approach culture in, a, in an age where everyone talks about fake news and what do we actually believe, what we're getting from media, how, how do you embed yourself in the trenches of culture? Well, and I want to be clear, I care about culture because I care about discipleship. And um, if it was simply a matter of giving people more Christian content, the job would be done. We have more content than any, any uh, time in history. I mean, I just upgraded to the latest version of Logos and I just like – almost weep tears of ecstatic joy when I open my library. I can't even believe what's in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still have areas that need massive sanctification. So I care about culture because I'm trying to ask the question, what is stopping people becoming like Jesus? Mm-hmm. So I, I've said you can't, when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the image of the world, he's asking, he's trying to say something. He's trying to say, before you understand how a Roman becomes a Christian. You have to understand how a Roman becomes a Roman. And mm-hmm. only when you understand how Rome, through its use of mythology, religion, power structures, sporting events, art, etc., formed people into the image of the empire, that only when you understand how Rome does that can you form people out of the image of Rome and into the image of Jesus. And so I'm always trying to ask how is culture forming people into the image of late modern consumers? And then how do I help them become followers of Jesus and build a bridge between those things where it's not so jarring. It feels impossible. It feels like an escape hatch into a better way of life. So that's, that's why I care about culture. I'm not like your pop culture guy. I mean, I'll occasionally drop Chance the Rapper in there just to get a bit of a laugh or whatever, but I'm not trying to do serious work with Chance. I am trying to understand like the larger invisible forces of propaganda and coercion, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to unmask those. And I'm trying to show people who think that religion is oppressive. You want to know what's oppressive? Algorithms. Algorithms are oppressive. (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm just trying to show people how Jesus is all about freedom and the culture is all about slavery. 
that's that's mainly what I'm doing with culture. So yeah, I read a ton of stuff on technology, sociology, stuff around identity, and then I will like understand that at a meta level and then dip into modern culture to pull out examples so people have hooks to sort of think through it. But that would be the big things. So, John, you were recently interviewed by Christianity Today, and uh, your article was about running into the controversy instead of like, oh, let's avoid that stuff. Seem to go, wow, there's the fire. Let's run into it with a Bible in your hand. <laughs> and, and you were covering like transgenderism sermons on that. Obviously, uh, a lot of the justice issues that are going on, large topical, you know, issues in society. Uh, what, what drives you to do that? What drives me to do that? Love. Love for my people drives me to do that. Um, look, if if you talk about everything except the thing everybody in your church is wanting to talk about, you're not helping your people. That's that's self-preservation on display. That's leadership cowardice. And uh, so I was just like, gosh, what does nobody want to talk about and what does all of my congregation talk about when I'm not around? Let's just have the conversation in public. So yeah, we did we did a series on that. I just try to take all the hard things I, I felt like I hadn't really heard any sermons on, and try and do sort of what we would call definitive talks. So above average, quite almost like lectures. That talk Jesus in the gay community was an hour and twenty six minutes long, mate. What like? And you know, I'm telling you, when I gave that talk, people are on the edge of their seats. There was a whole lot of, oh my gosh, where's he going with this thing next? So yeah, you can. Um, People are interested. They want to know. And I, I really, I mean, I wouldn't say this to my church probably, but it's been a while since I gave those talks. I did a 30-day fast before I preached those because I was so concerned that they have power and not just be information. And I just wanted them to land well. I wanted people to come away going, Jesus is good news. The world's telling me Christianity is oppressive. And I wanted people to go, Jesus is good news. And I tell you, we just did some baptisms the other night. And, uh, you know, the feedback I got even from the, those talks on sexuality in particular about people saying that was like my wake-up call to salvation and I'm following Jesus mm. now. So to me, yeah, it's a combination. Again, it's culture and it's prayer. It's these things put together. So I'd just say lean in. If you don't consciously give your people help, they will be discipled by YouTube or you know, who went, they'll be discipled by everybody by default. And um, it was love that made me go, I gotta, I gotta help my people. We've got another one coming up called Controversial Faith. And uh, that's like a, another set we're doing on all the hardest sort of, you know, doubt, deconstruction, oppression, all of that sort of stuff. Great. So, hey, on that note, let's talk about your latest book. It's called Beautiful Resistance. And uh, oh, sorry, before we jump into that, John, where, where can people get some of these sermons you just talked about? How can they run into the controversy with you? How, how, how can they do that? Um, I think probably on YouTube. I think they're on YouTube still. Um, I, I encourage people to watch them um, because I do a lot, like I'm doing a lot with the slides. So like the slides are really important, um, not just listening to it. But okay. if people don't have time, I understand that. But. Yeah. YouTube, John Tyson, everyone, get out there. So beautiful resistance. And, and here's a tagline, the joy of conviction in a culture of compromise. What's happening in this book? Why should we read it? 
Oh, what's what's so it's all taken from a scene. Um, I was reading Charles Marsh's biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer called A Strange Glory, mm-hmm. and he has this scene in Bonhoeffer's life that just it just sort of transfixed my pastoral vision. Uh, Bonhoeffer is running Finkenwald, which was his underground seminary because he was deeply concerned about the compromise of the German church. And they felt like, you know, Hitler was demanding not just loyalty to politics, but, you know, loyalty to a, to a whole life ideology. So they set up these underground seminaries to train pastors for a movement of resistance. Um, Bonhoeffer was an intense bloke. I mean, he was, he was a, I mean, if you ever tried to read his doctorate, which he wrote at 21, he was like a genuine genius. Um, so very intense man. And uh, so he was running um, his Finken, his uh, seminary, and that's where he uh, came up with life together and the cost of discipleship. So those ideas were formed out of his vision. One of his students, former students, heard about everything he was doing and was like, this is too intense. Like you're going to be seen as, seen as a fanatic and this is too extreme. So he comes to visit Bonhoeffer. Bon- Bonhoeffer gets in a boat because he used to row. They row across this river to an airfield where Hitler is literally training his troops. And Bonhoeffer stands on the side of this hill and basically says to his friend, talking about his seminary, look at look at what Hitler is doing to train his troops. Look at mm. the hardness. Look at the intensity. And he says, we have to be stronger in our discipline and discipleship in making followers of Jesus than Hitler is in making Nazis. And this whole vision of like contrasting his seminary and discipleship with the training of soldiers for the Third Reich and then they rode back in silence. And I thought that that's the image, man. It's it's our, our discipleship in the world has to be, uh, discipleship in the church has to be stronger than the discipleship in the world. People will say it's too extreme, but what's the alternative? We're losing, we will in the next 30 years lose 42 million young people from the American church. It is statistically now at the point, according to Barna, at a place of irreversible decline. 1.2 million young people leave the church every year in America right now. So every missional effort we have put into place is failing. Every church strategy we have had is failing. Every media initiative we've had is failing. And so I was like, it's not it's not time to care what people think. It is time to reclaim that intense, robust vision of discipleship, a radical pursuit of God. And uh, so I called the book Beautiful Resistance. And I, I try and address nine things. They're, they're, they feel pretty random, but I try to address the things I felt like were the most impactful and least talked about. Like, you know, like the, the ones with the most antithesis, the, the most fight, the most pushback in them. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, I got stuff on there and on, you know, privilege, um, you know, a ton of stuff. But the one people always talk about is fasting. It just blows my mind. I hate fasting. Mm. I hate it. I love eating. Mm. But fasting is one of those things that I'm not good at short-term fasts either. I'm like, I've got the willpower and the, the mentality for the long ones, but the short ones are like, like a weekly fast sounds like, torture to me you know anyway whatever that's that's that was the book was that's what the book was about it's a call to discipleship to push back to resist right. but to do it in a beautiful and compelling way that's great hey during during our our, our thrive conference i had a great conversation with nicky gummel and he he was shouting about you and he was all excited 
and he was telling us how you were like starting like alpha courses all the time uh, through this COVID yeah. season. Tell us a little bit about about your love for alpha and and how you've been using it in this season and and has it been effective? Yeah, I I mean, man, I am so grateful for alpha. And I mean, the only thing I can say, which is you know like what I say about only a couple of things is God's hands on it. It's as simple as that. It's, it's anointed in the most new Testament sense of that word. I mean, we've just seen so many people. I just did a bunch of baptisms of people who met Jesus through alpha. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I just want to, I'm grateful to God for the way that HDB have stewarded a once in a generation tool and it's free and honestly god bless them for that um it's 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 a tool whose time has come it's as simple as that hospitality logical sequential encounter through the claims of the gospel it's charismatic so you get a chance to meet the god you're talking about you know so that it's it's like ha 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 boom here he is you know i mean you well it's, that's the best strategy there is man you there know? you go everyone um, <laughs> Boom. That's how you do the gospel. <laughs> yeah. I, I just did a wedding. I just did a, a, a wedding for a girl who came to Christ and she came to Christ because her best friend came to Christ and her best friend invited 40 people. And it was like a mini revival. And um, I, I was at this wedding and it was literally like a new Christian class. Everybody was walking around. Like I met Jesus through Alpha at your church. Thank you. It was like the most life giving thing. So, um, Big fan of Alpha. It's God's hands on it. It's gone better online even than in person. We could do more, like, and we're planning to do more. Um, it's just worked for us. All the obstacles are removed. So you don't even have to go to a room now. You just can log on. And uh, it requires intentionality. Uh, it requires money. It requires a heart of love. But it's just been great for us. More than anything, I, I have an amazing team of people who love the lost, and it's it is these it's these people's passion um, to see people meet Jesus because they've been changed by Jesus. So that's the thing that drives it is the amazing volunteer team. So I can't, I mean, I, the only credit I get as the senior leader is saying, "Yeah, let's platform it in our church," and all of the work is done by an amazing team of volunteers. So. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to uh, Todd last week down in SoCal. And uh, he yeah. was just saying, you guys have used this so well. So you would recommend it to the churches across America today, people that have never tried Alpha, even starting Alpha online? Oh, 100%, mate. 100%. Yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm a, I love the life of the mind. You know, I love developing content and tools and resources. And I'm always like, um, I'm always trying to tweak and improve things. And alpha is the only thing I haven't done that for. <laughs> Cause I'm like, it's, it's working so well, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I would encourage people to, to have a go at it. The thing that people said to me when I first started alpha, um, which, which, which I really resonated with just as a leader, understanding how culture is formed. They said, if you try this once, this will not bear the fruit we're telling you that it will bear. But if you commit to this as a major initiative to empower your people to share the gospel, this will change your church over time. And so my mentality was like, look, let me give this like a five-year run. And um, 
I'm very, very happy with the fruit that's born in our church. You know, I've been involved in, I was involved in the emerging church. I was involved in all, a lot of the key missional church conversations. And they would all hate me saying this, but I've seen more people come to Jesus through Alpha than any other missional anything we've ever done. It's not the only way, but it's certainly a very, very effective way. I'm not paid by Alpha. I'm not an Alpha spokesperson. It's just been so effective in the life of our church. So, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend people try it. So, John, um, you're married. Uh, you've got two kids. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you were on a, a pilgrimage with your, with your son last year. Uh, do you want yes. to tell a little bit about that? <sighs> yeah, I mean, so... <laughs> One of the things I didn't want to do, I saw a lot of pastors have amazing churches but kids with very thin faith. And I understand why there's so much pressure and you're just assuming the youth pastor's involved and, you know, you're praying your prayers and you trust that God's going to cover them. But I was like, I don't want to make that assumption. I don't want to assume that my kids are going to follow Jesus. I want to give them everything I have. So, yeah, I designed um, I designed a like a – six-year discipleship thing for my son starting from when he was 13 and then just basically built out almost like a college degree in manhood, you know, like his 101, 201, 301, 401. It was based on three things. It was based on uh, character, here's who you need to be, skill, here's what you need need to be able to do, and knowledge, here's the wisdom you're going to need to thrive as a man in this world. And, uh, yeah, so I, I built this thing out. It was so fun. When he was 13, um, I formed a little cohort of his of dads and sons and then made them, you know, it started by running into the ocean off the coast of New York as a baptism into a liminal space. And I called it the primal path. I know it sounds super cliche, but you try and motivate a 13-year-old boy to do anything, you know. So we called it the primal path and um, did it for six years. And I told him, hey, if uh, if – to conclude your journey into manhood, we're going to hike the Camino de Santiago, 500 miles across Spain together. So he did a gap year. And I said, "If you, so I said, I, I want you to do a gap year. I wanted to irreparably break his heart for the global poor and stop him from ever becoming a pure spoiled American college student. So he did a gap year. And I said, at the end of the gap year, to close it out and sort of process it, let's hike the Camino de Santiago, 33 days, one day each for the for a life of Jesus and we'll just process everything you've learned these last six years about manhood. So that's what we did, man. We walked across Spain together wow, and it. it was like, I'll weep if I keep talking about it. It was just single-handedly the most meaningful thing I've ever done. Wow. It was just, un- it was just unbelievable. A lifetime of memories. The final part of the primal path, my son comes uh, home on Monday as we're getting tattoos. I got the path. Uh, across Spain of the Camino de Santiago turn into a tattoo from one of my friends who's a tattoo artist. So we're both getting a tattoo on our inner arm with uh, the dates we walked the, the primal path together. So, man, that was, like, sweet. I'm doing something different for my daughter, doing something called 50 Pieces of My Heart, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, like, 50 key deposits every dad needs to make in their daughter's life. So I'm I'm four months into that. And uh, that's, yeah, just like a devotional every morning with, a, with a, a big weekly focus and then a dinner sort of trying to unpack the big idea. Just disciple your kids, man. That's it. Be intentional. Honestly, it almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something. Keep the emotional connection with your children alive. 
That's my number one piece of advice. The best, like what people say to me, how did you get your kids to do, you know, like, well, that sounds like an amazing program. I'd love to do it with my kid. I'm like, it, it actually was amazing, but I want to tell you this. The miracle is that I talked to my son from age 13 to 19 to at getting up at 5.30 every morning and spending 45 minutes learning from me. Mm-hmm. And if people would say like, how did you do that? It was like, I kept the emotional bond alive. And the way I did that was by entering into their world, not trying to bring them into mine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of dads will say now I'm just lecturing. So forgive me, but a lot of dads will say, you know, your kid will come home and go, you know, well, dad, I had a, t- I had a tough time at football practice today. What happened? Well, you know, this kid kept pushing me over during uh, tackling or whatever. And it was really annoying. And the dad will say, well, you need to toughen up son. Don't let that get to you. That's not what I did. I was like, what? Mate. No way. Tell me more about that. How did that, what were the other kids on the team saying? Are you kidding? How's that? Did you have, did you have to see him afterwards? Like what happened when you got on the bus? Did it get, you know, I would just enter in. I would try and feel whatever they were feeling. And I had one goal. It was like, I want my kids to bring their sin to me so I can process it with them. Mm-hmm. I want them to say, my dad can help. Let me bring this to my dad. And so to, to have that sort of relationship where they didn't hide in shame. And, um, you know, so I put all my work and prayer into that, keep the emotional bond alive. And then they'll want to do the discipleship stuff later. That's anyway, I'm not a perfect dad and my kids are not perfect kids, but if you'd, if you'd met them, if you meet them, you'd say, that's amazing. Those kids love Jesus like that growing up when they did in New York, you know, maybe New York, maybe do it. Cause it was so secular. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they had to run to Jesus. Right. I yeah. have one last question here. I want you to unpack these here. Um, at Church of the City, there's like three really key things for you. And you talk about we are people marked by God's presence, uh, by lives formed into the image of Jesus, and by lives of sacrificial mission for the renewal of the city. Like, lots of churches, John, have like cool logos, mantras, um our logo is awful for you what does this mean for you yeah i mean that's like so to me those are the core elements of missional discipleship so i would put six words i would i would modify it i would reduce it to six words which is tangible presence mm-hmm. counterformation sacrificial mission i think that's the kind of discipleship we need today so I'm, I obviously believe in the omnipresence of God, but I'm not interested in omnipresence. I'm interested in tangible presence. And I think that's the birthright of new covenant Christianity and awareness of the presence of God. The number one command for followers of Jesus in the New Testament is walk in the spirit, be filled with the spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the heart of it. So, um, yeah, I want people to know God, to know his presence and his power. In his presence is fullness of joy. That's what's up. So I want people to access that. So, yeah, I'm interested in charismatic encounter, um, you know, gifts of the spirit. I'm comfortable with basically any weird manifestation due to, you know, coming from the Assemblies of God, Toronto blessing sort of background. But I'm not interested in that for the sake of that. It's just that often when God comes, those things come with him and I just, I'm up for that. I want people to uh, to encounter God's presence through his word. I, I, I want them to be God-oriented people. Secondly, I want them to become like Jesus. And, um, again, that comes 
down to realizing how deeply we are shaped and formed by the world. And rarely how it's, it's amazing how much you can be in church and do a bunch of stuff and know a bunch of stuff and not actually become like Jesus. And I want to help people become like Jesus. And then lastly, I want people to like give their lives for others. And so sacrificial mission, I think is the heart of new Testament mission. And at this time of history, it will cost us something to see the kingdom of God advance. It won't, it won't happen by the fault. It's going to cost us money, time, energy, reputation, something, but we will have to pay a price to do it. So to me, those six words are sort of the heart of um, discipleship in a secular age. And that's, that's, that's our hedgehog concept, you know, compelling missional disciples defined by tangible presence, counterformation, sacrificial mission. So Great, great. You, yep. <laughs> it's not cool. It's not sexy. I, but to me, man, it's potent. That's yeah. what that's what Jesus seems to be interested in, not size or influence, but potency. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're trying to build. Yep. Yeah. And, and we certainly know that with one of our evening service, well, with our evening service here, one of our campuses, we, well, when we can outside of COVID, we get up to a couple of thousand, you know, Gen Z and that. Uh, mm you know, younger millennials just turning up and they want the preaching, but they want that tangible presence of God. They're, they're, mm. they're calling, they're just, they're calling out for today, that reality, you know? So, Hey, John, before we go then uh, to all the leaders that are watching the people that will catch this on the podcast, what are some final words, exhortation that you, that you would want to give to people? Cause you know, and you said it earlier, so many people are thinking of resigning, throwing the towel in, and um, this is not just affecting their ministry, it's their very faith. What, what would you say as an encouragement in the seat? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to lightly push over the intensity of the experience that we are happening. We are having a very, very serious moment of anxiety and crisis as a culture as a whole. So I want to acknowledge that mental health issues are going to be a huge issue, but you do not have to let the cultural crisis become the crisis of your soul if you don't want to. So if I was to close with anything, I just would close with God's word. So I'd like just to read some scripture. Uh, this is Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. And so to me, it's like you will in crisis, in drought, a tree will send its roots, will just go searching to access water. And I believe that if there's a way our faith can come out stronger, more pure and better if we send out our roots to the stream of God's presence and God's care. And I, I've just resolved, I will not let the pandemic crisis, which has destroyed New York City, destroy my soul or my leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I spend conscious time every morning just saying, Jesus, I, I long for your presence. I cannot do this on my own. Uh, I drink up your love. I draw strength. You know, God is trusting us with the leadership of this global moment. Mm. Jesus trusts you. 
He's put you here because of all the Christians that have ever lived in the history of the church. You're the ones he believes will steward this the best. That's why you're here. So let's get rooted in him. Let's not rely on external solutions. Let's uh, let's be people who come out with deeper, more pure faith, who bear fruit in this season. And uh, I just pray that the people who hear this would be encouraged to, um, you know, to just make sure they're rooting themselves in God's love and prioritizing that. I have found, I, I look, I'm I'm so busy. Like many of you, I've got a, a premarital counseling appointment next. I'm, you know, I like I'm doing leadership. I'm doing the pastoring. It's hard. But I would just say I have found in this season, when I honor God, when I don't have time, God honors me and does stuff I could not do on my own through his favor. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's sowing and reaping and then there's favor. And favor is reaping what you have not sown because God can trust you. And I believe if that we put him first, we will have favor in this season and God will get us through it. So stay strong. Wow. Come on, everyone in the chat, show the encouragement, show the love there. It's great words. John, um, first time ever talking to you. I'm really trusting it will not be the last. Um, We run um, every year um, a leadership conference, and we would definitely love you to be part of that next year. I have no doubt about that. So whether you can actually get on a plane and come here to California (laughs) or uh, we'll do it online, we would love you to be part of that. Seriously. Thank God well, for you. Thanks, man. No, uh, thrive is you. thrive is um, normal Christianity. That's God's intent. Yeah. That's God's heart. So I love love what you guys are about, and uh, thanks for taking some time today. No problem. Hey, God bless. Well, thanks again to John, and uh, follow him on all the social media outlets. Uh, check out the work he's doing. Read his books. He is a uh, he's a trusted source, and I would just recommend diving deep into uh, some of the thing that some of the things that John is is leading the way on. And I, uh, I I do download his sermons, his teaching on a regular basis from Church of the City. He's been doing some great uh, series lately that, uh, again, will really help you think and pass it on to your friends who I would say are uh, not just more cultured, but they're, you know, they might be thinking about the Christian faith and uh, they're somewhat intellectual. You know, this is where John and John's voice can really help you in connecting with people in your in your circle. So we are grateful, as always, this time of year, and especially this week, as you listen, um, you know, you may be listening to this later, but we're in the Thanksgiving season. So I want to just say, let's be grateful and uh, think of someone in your life that you haven't told recently, you're thankful for them and Uh, Give them a uh, shout out, give them a text, give them a call, maybe an email, whatever is best for you. So let's, let's live out gratitude in this season. And until the next episode, lead well, lead well, friends. Let's be healthy leaders that are, that are leading thriving churches. So on behalf of Ray Johnston and the entire team, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Podcast.